topic that all of us need <clears throat> every single day. I'm not going to preach a sermon, but I'm going to bring a message. I'm not going to be preaching at you. I'm going to be bringing a message to you and for you and with you because everything I say to you applies to me as well. And I believe every message from the Bible is a message from God. So God loves you. He wants you to know His Word and His message. And today we are beginning every a series the Bible is a entitled Step into Strength so God loves you for Living. Step into Strength. I didn't know I could even do that, but I did. Step into strength for a living. That's what we're all about today. And today I'm going to challenge you to be stronger and get many muscles. Get many muscles. By many I could mean different. Get different muscles. Many muscles. Different muscles. Muscles to you. So... Let's go to the gym. Let's go to God's gym. Let's get our muscular faith to work. What is a muscle supposed to do? It's supposed to move your body. That's its function. To move you. Did you know that in the Bible, the church is called the body of Christ? And the muscles of the powerful Spirit of God and the Word of God and the Son of God and God the Father move us by giving us muscles. Would you consider yourself to be a muscular Christian or kind of a weak, wishy-washy Christian? Which are you? Are you a compromiser or are you a committed Christian who's got muscles to face the world around you and live for Christ? So, Let's go to the gym, God's gym, and let's find out what He wants us to know about having spiritual strength as well as physical strength and mental strength and emotional strength. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, where you turned, I'd like for us to read this passage because it talks to us about the kind of muscle that God wants to have us to have, and I'll read that in just a moment. When I say to go, go to God's gym, God's gymnasium, I'm taking that word gymnasium or gym right out of 1 Timothy 4. The Greek word is gymnasia. We get the word gymnasium from it. And it's God's workout gym and how he wants us to get muscles. Now, physical training is a good thing, as we'll read in just a moment. But spiritual training is even better. So look in 1 Timothy 4, and uh, let's begin reading in this passage at verse 6. Here God is speaking through the Apostle Paul to young Timothy, who needed some muscles. Here's what he said. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed, have nothing to do with godless myths. The word there is the profane things of life. Profane, godless myths, and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Training, training, training. Train yourselves to be godly. 
for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, isn't that a stirring thought? That we get strong for this life, but also for the next life. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive. The word strive there is agonize. Have you ever seen an athlete agonizing to perform, trying to get to the finish line, or a football game, or a baseball game, or a basketball game, or any kind of sports? There's a certain agony in conditioning, in training, in fitness, in sweat, work, possibility of injury, coming back from injury, trying to win the goal, win your objective. There's a certain kind of agony in that. That's the reason many times when you see professional athletes lose, they'll cry. They'll hang their head in sorrow. They'll feel the pain. They'll put their arms around each other because they have agonized to win, but they lost. But then they'll come back, and they'll be ready to fight the good fight once again. So the Bible tells us, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Now, when you look at the word especially, you could put the word effectively there. Effectively for those who believe. Or particularly, particularly for those who believe. When God saves someone, he saves them individually, particularly and effectively because they put their faith in Christ, the Son of God. So the Bible tells us that we are to get fit. Now what does it mean to be fit in Christ? What does that mean? Well, let's take the word fit for a moment. F-I-T. First of all, to be a muscular Christian, you must be willing to follow. It's not easy to follow Christ. It takes determination, faith, vision, power, perseverance, even long-suffering. Secondly, I. And that I means that you have integrity. You're not a part-time Christian, a fair-weather Christian, but you are a totally committed person of integrity to follow Christ all the way, not halfway, a part of the way, three-quarters of the way, but every step of the way. Integrity counts. And then T, F-I-T, teachable. Every Christian is to be teachable, to learn more and more, line upon line and precept upon precept, daily, weekly, monthly, annually, to keep on learning and keep on living and keep on loving. That's what a fit Christian is. That's what makes a Christian muscular. So the Bible tells us, and I want to share with you two things today. Number one, I want to talk with you about eternal muscle that we read about a moment ago. And then I want to talk to you about effective muscle. Eternal and effective muscle. So the Apostle Paul started out by telling Timothy to train yourself. Nobody's going to do the training for you either. 
you and I have to take care of our own body as well as our spiritual life. Now, most people in their mind, they want to work out. They want to get muscular. They want to be strong. They want to build muscle, whether it's physical or spiritual. But let's just face it. The average person is not very good at being disciplined, being fit in their physical or spiritual life. You know what the number one excuse for many people who always talk about getting fit but never do? It goes something like this. Well, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start watching my food. But before I go, I, I, I kind of want to lose a few pounds and gain a little muscle before I go over to the gym. <laughs> you know. And by the way, would you hand me one of those Twinkies? Um, that's how a lot of people think. It's like that thought, well, I'm going to the doctor to find out what's wrong with me as soon as I get a little bit better. You have to go to God completely and take the responsibility for yourself and know the value of godliness. He says here in 1 Timothy that spiritual value for fitness and strength is good now and forever. Now and forever. It has value beyond just a physical muscle. It has spiritual vitality in it. And it combats godless myths. Godless myths. There are so many myths in our culture today, so many things that are causing us to fall, and they're godless. They don't have God in them. They're secular. Secular. S-E-C-U-L-A-R. You know what that means? God is left out. By design, by purpose. That's that word I was talking to you earlier about profane. A profane society becomes secular. A secular society is basically a godless society by design. Now, praise God, and I want to go on record right now as saying that in America, because we need them, don't we? To offset, overcome, and defeat the godless, secular politicians who have so much sway in our country. So how can you tell when a society is secular? How can you see the signs? I'm going to give you a few, okay? I'm going to give you some of the signs. Now, don't get depressed because the battle is still on. But here are a few signs of a secular or profane society. Number one, it's okay to promote lawlessness, to defund the law keepers, and to defund the police. Secondly, it's okay to promote human abortion rights and completely pass over the divine right given to every baby to come into the world and have a life ordained by God. When it gets to the place where the law defends all of those negative things, and thank God the Supreme Court recently change that law. But what's happening now? The profane are rising up. The secular are rising up. They want their voices heard. They want to turn around what was turned around. Another sign of secularism. Another sign is that it's okay to break down the borders of America, which provide our safety and our citizenship, and to allow illegally those who want to come to America bypassing every law we've ever made 
And by the way, there's a steady stream of crime and criminals and drugs coming in across our border. And that's a part of a society that ignores and will not enforce the laws of the land. Another sign of secularism is to give away money repeatedly and completely destroy, now hear me, the work ethic in America already is swirling around the toilet. To destroy the work ethic. What is the work ethic? Work ethic, when it's in its original intent, was this, that a man or a woman becomes a worker at an agreed-upon salary with the possibility of promotion and increased salary and value. And by the work that they do, they bring value to the company and they actually create more value than the company would have if they didn't have you. That work ethic is gone from many, many places. But that is the biblical work ethic that God talks about in the Bible. Another sign is to per persecute people of faith, whether in the military or in civilian life, and enforce radical politics under the guise of freedom to shut down faith in America. Another sign of secularism or profane life is to completely confuse the children and the young people of the young generation with gender identity teaching and transgender politics that are trying to infuse the school system, the universities, the homes, to go contrary completely to what God says about human beings and who they are. Another sign is to use unethically the media to promote an agenda that's anti-God, never mentions God, never promotes churches, never pr promotes and brings the biographies of great preachers and teachers and missionaries and leaders of spiritual life. Even in our local news, you don't read stories about churches and pastors and congregations and the good work they do because it's a secular organization. And then another sign is to make deals with our enemies, those who are diametrically opposed to the Christian world in America and to the safety of America, and our government many times can make deals with these re regimes who want to get revenge on America and even create nuclear weapons to destroy our nation. And yet, the laws are made. The treaties are put into effect. Why? Because we're ignoring God's word, God's ethics, God's purpose and plan, and there's a battle going on. That's the reason you need muscles. That's the reason you and I need to be muscular Christians, to know what we believe and to know what we know God is telling us. And so the Bible tells us that you and I ought to be fighting for our faith. We ought to be agonizing in prayer. Now listen to me carefully. I don't want you to go into depression about what's happened. I want you to understand this. The darker it is, the brighter God's word. The tougher things get, the stronger you can get. The harder it is, the more people God will raise up 
to fight the good fight in the battle. Yet we're in the battle. We're agonizing in the battle right now in our nation. And we specifically want to win people to Christ. That's what Timothy said, to bring the gospel and to win people to Christ. And how do we do that? One by one by one by one by one. People are one to Christ one by one. One by one. When I became a Christian, I didn't get up a group of ten people and say, would all of you become Christians with me? No, I had to deal with the Lord, and the Lord had to deal with me in a private way, and then it became public when I publicly confessed Christ. Your profession of faith in Christ is private. Only you and God can make that happen through your faith and His grace. But then it becomes a public thing. You're baptized publicly. You confess Christ publicly at work, at home, with your kids, with your neighbors, with your friends. You go to a public church. You hear the public word read and preached and taught. You serve publicly in the body of Christ. It's a public thing. You give, you pray for, you love the people of God publicly. It's a body of Christ that's known in the world. But it happens one by one. One by one, that's what God's doing today. I told our church on Wednesday night at Uplifter Worship about a man named David who served in the Navy. And by his own testimony to me, this happened this week. He was telling me that he was a drug addict. He was definitely an atheist, but he was a hateful atheist. He hated Christians. He hated the church. He hated the gospel. And on board, there was a man there who was a Christian and made it known by something he said and did on, on board ship. And this man, David, by his own testimony, attacked him verbally, mentally, emotionally. For three solid days, he attacked the man every way he could. He broke him down. He broke him down. He broke him down until the man, the sailor, actually cried. He cried. And he ran. And he hid. He cried. And this man, thinking, I've done my duty. I've done my job. I've broken down another false Christian. But you know what happened? That sailor who was broken went down. And God took the broken pieces and he blessed him in a special way and gave him muscles. He stood up. He went back up in front of Dave and he said, listen, yeah, you broke me down temporarily. You really made me cry. You made me doubt myself. But God told me something, and I'm here to tell you. People come to Christ in strange ways. And God wants you to know that you're going to become a Christian. God's after you. You're the one that he's going to change. And through that few words of that man, that sailor who was broken, and came back to be a blessing, that man became a Christian because he couldn't figure out how in the world could he come back and say that to me. How in the world could he come right back up in my face after I humiliated him and before the others and say what he said to me? unless he is a strong man who can't be broken for real. And now that man that was speaking to me, he works for a large company in our area, but his goal is to be, and that's what he does now as a volunteer, as a chaplain, he speaks to drug addicts, to criminals, 
He goes to the jails. He wants to become a full-time chaplain. Can you believe it? The man who hated God, hated Christians, now loves the gospel and loves people and is letting people know. So God gives us eternal muscle. Eternal muscle. That's what 1 Timothy chapter 4 says. And then the second thing I want you to see is effective muscle. Effective muscle. God gives you muscles that he gives you for a reason. They are to have an effect. They are to move you, to make you a strong, strong Christian. So when the Bible talks about us having strength, here's a passage from the Bible that talks about strength and bearing fruit. I'd like to invite you to look up here on the screen and read this aloud in a good, clear voice with me. There are two slides here. You ready? Live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, play, pay close attention to those two words, bearing fruit, bearing fruit. Let's go to the second part. Let's read it. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And it takes great endurance and patience to bear fruit and to be strong enough in your Christian life to be the kind of Christian who strives to bear fruit for God, to bear fruit. Every fruit begins with a seed. That's the reason Jesus gave this parable. It is the word of God. It's thrown out everywhere. To the greatest and the least, the richest and the poorest, of every color, every nationality, the seed goes out, the word of God. And that seed is meant to bear fruit. Some of it does, much of it doesn't. But the fruit that does bear fruit, a seed that does bear fruit, Jesus said, will bear 60, a 30, 60, 90, and 100 fold harvest from one little seed. So you and I are to bear fruit for God with seed. Excuse me just a minute. I don't want to happen to me what happened to me last Sunday. Seeds are very, very important. Seeds. Wasn't it Jesus who said, if you have faith like a little, what was it called? A mustard seed, you can move mountains. If you have a little seed of faith. That's how God works. He works with seeds. And your strength comes from seeds. Now, I'm going to close the last half of my message with the Bible teaching about the seeds of strength. On Wednesday night, we're talking in our message in Uplifter Worship about living nine times better. Did you know that every Christian can, will live nine times better than the life you used to have before you became a Christian? And nine times better than any life any secular person or unbelieving person is living today.
Now, why do I say nine times better? Because the Bible says we have nine fruits. Turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Many of you know this very well because you're here every Wednesday, and we've been studying this passage. In Galatians chapter 5, we read about these fruits of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so let's look at them once again and just remind ourselves how good God is to it. Look at verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5. He says, I'll give you a moment to get there, Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, how does fruit grow? From a seed. But the fruit of the Spirit, and here's going to name the nine, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the powers of the Holy Spirit. These are the fruits of the Holy Spirit of God. Nine of them. Nine of them. Now you'll notice in this passage, the very first one, what is it? Love. Now, over in 1 Corinthians 13, turn back to the left from where you are, and look at 1 Corinthians 13. Now you're going to see how love, that fruit of love, is multiplied with some new seeds. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, speaking about the power of God's love. So first of all, we have the nine fruits. They were brought about by the seeds of God. Then we looked at this one fruit called love, and look how it's multiplied. Look at verse 4, which describes the power of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, my dear friend, think about how you can use those characteristics of love in your life, at your work, in your battle with illness, trying to win another person to Christ, showing love to your little kids or your grandkids, resolving those conflicts in your marriage, learning to live the single life, looking at the world and having hope in the world through the power, your power, your power of love that God has planted in you by the seeds of the Spirit-filled life. Nine of them. Number one is love. And then these eight characteristics of love itself. The seeds of strength are planted in you. In fact, the seeds of success in life are all around you and all within you. They're coming down from heaven to you. And it's your role, it's your purpose to get fit. Fit. A follower, integrity, and teachable. And take these seeds that God gives you and multiply them in your life and let them show how you are a real, genuine, authentic Christian. Have you ever heard this saying? You can count the seeds in an apple. 
You can count them. If you cut it open, we could count them. But you can't count the apples in a seed. You ever heard that expression? You can count the apples in a seed. I mean the seeds in an apple, excuse me. You can count the seeds in an apple, but you cannot count the apples in the seed. Isn't that amazing? Now you think, <laughs> Pastor, that is so cute the way you said that. That is so nice. I like those little nice Christianette things. But I'm going to prove something to you today. I want to prove to you that this is a dynamic fact of life. And I'm going to use this apple to do it. I've named this apple Alvin. This is Alvin right here. So I want to give you some facts about apples and seeds. Samuel Rottenizer is the man who gave me these facts. I brought them with me. So I'm going to use my cheat sheet here just to give you some facts. It's not a cute little saying. It's reality. So, for example, some apple statistics. The only apple that's native to America is the crab apple. <laughs> but you know it takes a crab apple to join forces with every other kind of apple there is before that other apple can be made? Did you know that? It's the basis of all apples. The crab apple. Secondly, it takes about two pounds of apples to make a nine-inch apple pie. Now, I think it'd be entirely fitting for some of you ladies to do that, make those apple pies and drop them off at the church office, and Sally and I will find out just exactly how well you did. So you feel free to do that if you like. He went on to say that there are 7,500 varieties of apples grown in the world. Say that number with me, 7,500. Hmm. Where'd that come from? Where'd it come from? A seed. Is that true? Can that be right? A seed produced that? He goes on to say that there are 100 varieties of apples grown commercially in the USA and that apples are grown in all 50 states of the U.S., who planted the first apple trees? The pilgrims. And then Johnny Appleseed came along. and went to every, This is a true story. Went to every state in the Union planting apple trees. That's the reason apples are so profuse in America. It takes an apple tree about four to five years to produce its first fruit. Plant, nurture, water, fight the insects, the weather. And then the first harvest comes. And so apples vary in the number of seeds they have, five to ten, maybe less sometimes. So Alvin here is a very prolific producer from a seed, from a seed. Now, <clears throat> hold on, I'm not done. I'm going to tell you now the real astounding facts about apple seeds. Now, you know that I'm using the apple, right? I'm asking Alvin here to help me preach the gospel this morning. This is not about apples. It's about the seed of the Holy Spirit, the seed of the gospel, the seed of the Christian life, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But I'm asking Alvin to help me. And I'm using uh, Mr. Rodenheiser to help me as well. The average apple tree produces about 300 apples. How many? 300. 
Average apple tree produces about 300 apples in one growing season. And um, each one of those apples contains about five seeds approximately. So all things being equal, according to Mr. Roddenheiser, one apple tree will produce about 1,500 seeds per season, just one season. So those 1,500 seeds will then potentially produce 450,000 apples. 1,500 seeds, 450,000 apples. Because apples come from what? Seeds. And they multiply. And those 450,000 apples will produce another, you ready? 2,250,000 seeds. Now you're thinking, well, Pastor, what were you thinking today when you came with this apple stuff? I was thinking about the gospel. I was thinking about you. That's the only way you're going to grow if you get the seeds, seeds of success, the seeds of strength, the seeds that God gives you. So 2,250,000 seeds. Now when those 2,250,000 seeds then produce, what's the next number going to be? Well, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this, God's number one way, according to Jesus Christ, to work in the lives of people is seed work. Just like you, he plants seeds in your mind and heart. What does God want you to do before your kids? What seeds will God plant? And is the fruit coming up? Is the fruit from God's word and God's power working in you? Now here's the secret. Jesus, using this idea of the branches and the fruit, also used the vine. Can you see this slide? Read it out loud with me. This is a quote from Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that's pretty, pretty powerful. You can't do anything without Jesus Christ. And you can't bear any fruit without the seeds. And you can't bear and get any seeds without the Holy Spirit. But Christ has been throwing these seeds out. The Holy Spirit is producing fruit within you. And that fruit has seeds in it. And you, like many of us sometimes say, Oh, poor me, I just don't know. I can't do anything. I mean, I'm just, it's just me. It's just little old me. And. I don't know, I don't know. I might as well go stick my head in a hole. Well, what a lie that is. What a deception that is upon you. That you think you can't do much for God. But you have the seeds. God brings those seeds. He produces the fruit in you. And I want you to think about this. What would one seed of friendship from you do in another person's life. What would one seed of one letter or card or email or text you send in Jesus' name to another Christian or to an unbeliever? What could that seed produce? What could the seed of one word of encouragement or one word of testimony, when you're trembling and afraid to say anything, you won't let the seed into the ground, the soil, but what if you did? 
if you trusted God to take that seed and bear fruit in it, if you would give one word of witness, one word of encouragement? What if one seed of relationship was developed in you with another person without Christ that you could cultivate and help? What about this? What if you planted one seed of a holy habit that you did every single day? You planted that seed of a holy habit, whatever that holy habit needs to be, and every single day you did that thing. How much fruit could that produce from that one, one seed? What would happen if you read one, just one book of the Bible five times in a row, not necessarily in one day, but you read it five times in a row? How much seed and fruit would that one seed that of your reading produce in your life? Because now you know God better. One seed. One seed. What if just one seed in your helping hand was stretched out? Could be to a rich person, to a poor person, to a sick person, to a mentally off person, to a braggart, to an egomaniac, to an atheist. But one helping hand somehow, some way, reaching out, that's the seed. And that seed could produce fruit in your life and to them. What about this? What if you decided to kill one sinful seed in your life? Because that seed's been producing in you all this time. You've let it live. You've cultivated it. You like it. You like to see it. You like to feel it. But what if you killed it? It's been producing in you for a long time, but you killed it. What if you killed that seed and it was replaced with godly seed? How much better would your life be? How much greater and stronger would you be as a Christian? Or finally, what if you made one God-honoring resolution? Just one. One resolution. It's not the new year, I know that, but what if you made a resolution. You know what you can make. What if you made one seed of a resolution to revolutionize your life and God could produce fruit through that. So fruits are powerful. Seeds bring the fruit and God plants the seeds and you get the fruits. That's why we say nine times better. Nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. And then the eight characteristics of love and those are the fruits. We want to see fruit. By the way, how many of you know that if you were to take a trip to Las Vegas and you went into one of the casinos and you played the uh, slot machine, if they're, I don't actually know how that all works, thankfully. But I think it works like this. You put your money in and you pull the lever. And the goal is, and from my view in these movies that you want to get three of the same kind of fruit to come up. Is that kind of how it works? You pull it and you want to get three kinds of fruit to come up. And if you do, though the odds are way against you, you're a sucker when you walk in the door. But if you somehow produce three fruits, all the same kind, 
I understand that's when the slot machine pays off. How different that is than the Christian life. It's not luck. It's not a gamble. And it's not just one kind of a fruit. It's hundreds, hundreds of kinds of fruit. This weekend, I was talking to a young guy who just moved here from Las Vegas. His grandfather's a preacher. Can you imagine preaching in Las Vegas? They need it. They need it. He brings the gospel, and it's a sure thing. It's a sure thing, not a gamble. When you trust Christ, it's not a gamble. Without Christ, life is a gamble, and you're going to lose without God. You might as well write it down in your book. Without God, you're a loser. If you don't believe me, read Christ, what he said. But my dear friend, here's the good news. You can have muscles, you can have seeds, you can have fruit that will produce a new and greater and better life with you. So what are you going to do about it? Start using the seeds, producing the fruit, because you can do it. Let's pray together. I want to pray with you and alongside you in my own life as well about the seeds and the fruit that God wants to bring in our life. Dear Father, in Christ's name, I pray for everyone who can hear my voice that today they receive the potential of their life through the seed of the gospel. Lord, I pray for Christians who've had the seed planted and the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the nine of them planted, and the eight characteristics of the power of love seeds of love planted. Lord, help us to use the seeds to bless others, to strengthen others, to be a testimony, to be an ambassador. Father, I pray for any man or woman listening today who has no fruit of God in his life or her life, no seeds are bearing goodness and God's grace in them, and they're weak, they have no muscles, no spiritual muscles at all, they're easy prey, they can be turned on a dime by the world's allurements. I pray today that that person will pray to receive Christ right this moment by simply saying, Lord, come into my life, forgive my sins, plant the Holy Spirit seeds of success in my life, and bless me in Jesus' name. So, Father, may your word take its root. May we cultivate it today and see the fruits of your work and labor in our life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. May God multiply the word today. I want to thank our Facebook viewers for watching with us today. And I'd like to ask you, if you will, to share this message to help us get the word of the gospel seed out today. Would you do that? We'd much appreciate it. And thank you for watching today.